Loving Father in heaven, thank you so much for showing us that we need a new heart, for showing us that we need to come to you and to be changed. Lord, now I pray that you would help us to grow, help us to learn how to know you, how to know your word, how to follow you, and what is the importance, Lord, of approaching your Bible and approaching your commands. Lord, I ask that I would once again be hidden and that only Jesus would be seen. In his name we pray. Amen. Have you ever wondered about the Bible? Oh, this, the projector is off here. Could someone try to turn that back on for me, please? <laughs> Have you ever wondered about studying the Bible? I mean, there's several seminars here about studying Daniel, studying Revelation, how to approach the Bible, how to give Bible studies. But have you ever wondered what the necessary ingredient is to study the Bible? Because I can tell you, there's only one. And I'm going to be sharing that with you this morning. Perhaps it's uh, based on Isaiah, right? Does anyone remember the verse in Isaiah? According to the law and the testimony, right? If they speak not according to this word, right? There is what? No light in them. You know, what's interesting though, is that before that verse... There's something else. It says line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Is that the key to understanding the Bible? Well, we'll find out. I can tell you that all of those principles are good. Our prophetic principles, understanding that we need to take what the Bible says about every verse, right, on a topic before we come to a conclusion. Have you ever heard the saying, a little knowledge is dangerous? Now, what does that mean? It's when people only understand a partial amount of a topic, they can come to the wrong conclusion. Right? If you read the verse that says to the thief on the cross, right? Verily, verily, I say unto you, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Where's that comma placed? That's right. It's in the wrong place. Because, of course, in the original manuscript, there's no punctuation, right? So if you didn't read a few chapters later, when Mary throws herself on Jesus at his feet and says, Master, teacher, and he says, do not detain me because I have not yet, what? Ascended to my Father. So we know that that wasn't true, right? Because he said to the thief, today on the day of my defeat, right? I'm giving you the assurance you'll be with me in paradise. But was he with Jesus in paradise that day? Well, we know that because who wasn't even there that day? Jesus. He says that, right? I have not, what? Yet ascended my Father. So sometimes, if you don't know the whole of a certain subject, you come to the wrong conclusion. But I can tell you there's many seminars that you can go through about understanding the Bible. There are many study guides, and they're all very helpful. But I'm going to share with you the key to understanding. The key to having your devotions, a meaningful devotional life. And without this, all those seminars will be meaningless. Everything that you learn, whether it's from me or someone else, will not help you. All of the spirit of prophecy will not help you without this understanding. And it happened to me on another mission trip. (laughs) I can tell you that this is our group outside of our hotel in Peru. We spent time together in the city, eating meals together. Sometimes we were just out in the open air sharing with people, and occasionally we had buildings that we could teach in and preach in. Many times we had, you know, fancy things, chairs and whatnot, but oftentimes we had just benches and maybe chalkboards. And I'm going to share with you that when we went 
to these churches. They intentionally split us up into different groups. They wanted to send us, how many at a time do you think? Two. And mainly that was practical because one person spoke English and the other person spoke Spanish, right? So they wanted to make sure that we could be understood. Now, they had a novel idea when it came to me. They said, well, Tim, you speak Spanish and English fluently, so we'll send you by yourself. I said, well, well, wait a minute, how about two and two? No, 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 that's fine. And we'll send you to the most remote church. I said, thanks. So I was sent to a church without a roof, without any walls. It had a mud floor. And it had basically some rebar sticking up out of the ground. And that was all that Maranatha was able to start. Now, at this church service, it was very, very simple. Uh, But they started Sabbath school. And when it began, they started talking to me. Now, when you've gone to another country, a foreign country, and they know that you're different, they know you're from somewhere else, what do they expect you to do? (laughs) That's right. So... So you're going to do the Sabbath school, the special music, the children's story, the sermon, AY, afternoon meetings, and we're going to close Sabbath with Vespers by you. So you're expected to do everything. And so that's kind of uh, the same in Peru, like most uh, of these countries. And so I did my best to sing my heart out, to preach my heart out. The only break we had from church is going home to eat. And then we came back. And there was more. See, there wasn't anyone looking at their watches to see if it was what? Noon at the sermon. Because they didn't have watches, actually, most of them. But they were not about an hour for church. All day was church in this country, like it is in most countries. But you know what impressed me? Is that after the sun went down, after we were done with Vespers, they waited till the Sabbath was over to have the announcements. Isn't that deep? That is so amazing. And I can tell you, there's something else I learned from them. Just recently, my sister has had a very hard time. And this last Sabbath, she did not come to church. For those of you who know the story of my sister, it is very amazing. She just recently became a Seventh-day Adventist. But she was not at church. And what do most of us do in this country when you find out a missing member is, you know, not there? What do they usually do? Usually call, maybe send a card. Did you know in third world countries they don't do that? If you're not at church, you know what's going to happen? Church is coming to you. That's right. And I learned that lesson from them. So what do you think after I was done with the service? I went to go see my sister. I showed up with potluck. I said, I've got a plate for you, Diana. She didn't answer the door, actually, when I came there. And I I called and called. I went over to a Whole Foods nearby, and I was going to start just eating and hoping she'd, you know, answer the message on her phone. She finally called. She's like, I I was in the bathroom. Anyway, I came back to her house, and we had church right there. That's something I learned from these third world countries, is they don't let you slip away. They're going to come after you. And I'm praising the Lord that they do that. So anyway, they had the announcements at the end of Sabbath. And frequently, what you'll do is on Wednesday night prayer meeting, you'll select a different book uh, for every quarter. And this was a new quarter coming up, and so they had a book. Okay, this is the book we're going to be studying, and it's this 60s graphics on it. It's called Cosmic Conflict. Do you guys remember there? There was a time for about 10 years where they were making all these different titles for the Great Controversy with all these real cheesy graphics and 60s-style stuff, and they never really sold very well. So anyway, this was one of those printings that they were able to get very cheaply. And I was remembering as they were talking about, well, this is the book we're going to study for next quarter, so make sure to start saving up so you can buy one. And I remember listening to the church members sitting next to me, and they were like, oh, I wish we had that book. And I said, well, you're going to get the book. It's coming next quarter. They said, we have to buy it. I said, yeah, it sounds like it's going to cost about a dollar. They're like, a dollar in your money is like an unreachable amount for us in our money. We could work from now until next quarter and never have enough money. And I said, you're kidding. They're like, no. And I said, well, what would you do for the book? They're like, I would do anything. 
I would be willing to work. I would be willing to take it home. I would study it every day. I would be ready to go to church during prayer meeting. I would share it with my family. I would share it with my friends. I said, really? And this was both of these church members that were saying this. And I was so surprised that they were saying this that I thought, you know, I'm going to go back to my hotel and I'm going to go get two copies of (laughs) The Great Controversy. And I went back to my hotel and I gave these two copies to their pastor. And I said, I want you to give it to these two church members that were sitting next to me who want The Great Controversy. And he said, okay, I'll do it. Now, how many of you have ever gotten a book? Yes. How many of you have ever given a book? Yes. Now, how many of you, when you've given that book, have run into that person later and said, Hey, have you read it? And they kind of, yes, and they kind of, they kind of shift around and they kind of look down at their feet and they say, Yeah, it was really interesting. Uh, have you ever heard that response? Or how many of you have ever received the book and you take a quick perusal of the preface and the epilogue so that when someone asks you if you've read the book, you can say, yes, I was very moved by what I read in that book. I'm not quite done with it yet. Don't raise your hands. I don't want to know how many of you. The bottom line is, is that not many people read a book that you give them. Is that not true? I would say probably... If you give out a number of books, maybe 90% of the people won't read the whole book. Would you say that's true? And so interestingly enough, I ran into these two church members three days later. And I thought, well, it's kind of early. I wonder if they've even gotten the book. And uh, they were helping out with a clinic in a nearby village. And I thought to myself, well, um... Maybe they've read it. I don't know if they've even gotten it. And they were helping out with the hydrotherapy station of the clinic. And so I asked them, and I said, "Um, well, did you read the book that I gave you? They're like, yeah. We haven't stopped reading it. We've read it every night. I said, really? I said, well, what about your family? We've shared it with our family. And your friends? Yeah, we've shared it with friends already. We're ready for prayer meeting coming up on Wednesday. I said, wow, okay, that's, uh, that's great. And I really didn't say a whole lot to them. I just kind of walked back to my station at the clinic. And I didn't see any patients for a little while. And I thought to myself for a long time. And don't get me wrong. I've given people books, and some of them have read them. And does it make you happy? Sure, it makes you happy. But I can tell you, I wasn't really feeling happy at this time. There was something that God taught me that I'll never forget as long as I live. And it's the key to understanding the Bible or the spirit of prophecy or anything from God. Because what impressed me is not that they read the book, really. What impressed me was not that they started sharing it right away. What impressed me was not that they had gone and opened it up to their family What impressed me was not that they were willing to give anything for the book. I understood that those things that are important. What impressed me was these are the two church members that were reading the great controversy. They're six and ten. And I couldn't do anything for a while because I realized that I didn't love God's word. It wasn't as important to me as it was to little Heidi and little Corey. They're six and ten. And I can tell you right now that I went home from that mission trip and I read the Great Controversy seven times. I read like the end chapters, you know. For some people, it's the history in the beginning. For me, it's like the origin of evil. You know, that's like, whoa, that's my chapter right there. And so I read those final chapters like seven times, and I read the whole thing through twice. 
because I learned something from those two little girls. I learned that they have the key to understand the Bible. The key is not a Bible study. The key is not going to AFCO or Rise or Black Hills. All those things are wonderful. But we learn the key through the eyes of these children. Because I can tell you that when you look at them, you realize that one is awaiting the arrival of her two front teeth right now. That these are kids that will be playing with dolls or trucks or games or something like that. And you realize that it's the Holy Spirit of God that makes them desire the great controversy. You know, Heidi had to ask her mother to help her with the big words in the book. But she was reading it more than most of what you and I would do. Open your Bibles with me. I want you to turn to the key. John chapter 7, verse 17. John chapter 7 and verse 17. If any man will do what? His will. He shall what? He shall know. Did you know that there's a version that Ellen White uses of this verse that I like? It says, if any man willeth to do his will or wants to do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. Did Heidi and Corey want to know about God? I asked them. I said, how much do you want the book? They said, more than anything. They didn't want a doll. They didn't want food. They wanted the great controversy with the 60s graphics on the front. More than anything, they wanted God and His Word. If anyone will do His will, he shall know of the doctrine. The first step with Heidi and Corey is that they wanted God. They wanted His Word. Luke chapter 10 Verses 42. Luke chapter 10, verse 42. This is talking about Mary and Martha. Both necessary, but one needs to come before the other. Luke chapter 10, verse 42. But how many things are needful? One thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. And that one good thing was, what was she doing? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus. Did she want to enjoy the hors d'oeuvres? Did she want to hobnob with the other people there? What did she want more than anything else? Jesus. What did Heidi and Corey want more than anything else? That book. God blesses a desire to know Him. He blesses a desire to do His will. And when that desire is all-consuming, you will know of the doctrine. You will understand about God. Desire of Ages. Page 370. I'm going to share a concept with you. Successful work for Christ depends not so much on numbers or talent as upon pureness of purpose, the true simplicity of earnest, dependent faith. It's not numbers, 370. It's not numbers or talent. You know, there was a pastor friend of mine whom I respected more than probably any other pastor I've met. When he sat and he talked with you, He would sit down. He would turn off his cell phone. He would not look at his watch. He would not have a pager go off. Have you ever noticed that when someone walks by, they'll kind of make eye contact or say hello? He didn't do any of that. When he was talking to you, he was focused on you. How many people do you know who do that? Very few. 
I'm rebuked to say that I need to learn from that. When He talks to you, He's focused on you and no one else. There's one thing on His mind, and that's talking to you. I have a friend of mine whose mother is always busy. Does anyone know who's someone who's always doing something? They're always active doing something. They can't sit still. There have to be, their hands have to be moving, doing something. And they'll say, well, I try to be efficient. You know, when they're on the phone, they're like, they got a load of laundry and they're washing the dishes and they got the dog, they're walking the dog with one leg or whatever. They're doing something, right? But I can tell you that there are times when my friend asks her mother and says, you know, Mom, I need to talk to you about something important. And she'll turn on the blender. What? What? Do you think she's listening? No. Do you think that we're listening to God as we're driving in the car, trying to eat our muffin, trying to put our makeup on while we're driving? And and then, okay, let's turn on the Bible on tape, right? We can get our devotional time in that way. Do you think that we really hear what God is having to say? No. We don't. We don't because we're focused on many things, right? And that's what Jesus said. He said, Martha, Martha, you're troubled and worried about many things, but how many things is needful? One thing. Focusing on one purpose alone. Heidi and Corey wanted that book more than anything else. And you know what? They got it. And you know what else? They got it. Because I can tell you right now, they are going to understand the great controversy better than you or I or anyone else. Because they have one purpose, and that's to know God. And He will reveal Himself to them. Turn with me to Psalms, chapter 199. I'm sorry, 119. There is no 199. Psalm 119, verse 99. Psalm 119, verse 99. I have more wisdom than who? My teachers. How many of my teachers? All my teachers. Why? Because your what? Are what? My meditation. What does it mean to meditate on something? Well, I'll give you an example. I see John in the background here. I'm going to call on him. (laughs) And uh, there's something called a mantra in many religions. They're Eastern religions. And what is a mantra? It is something that you, what? Om is often a mantra. It's something you do what with? You repeat over and over again. And how many things are you focused in on? Om, right? Or whatever that mantra is, cheeseburger or whatever you want to say. (laughs) Om. There's one thing. When you meditate on something, it's not that complicated. You're focused in on... One thing. And when you approach God's Word, that is how you will gain more understanding than your teachers, is to meditate on God. Can you imagine that? You're going to understand more than me. You're going to understand more than Peter Gregory, more than Dr. Pippin, more than Nathan Renner, because you meditate on God's Word. Focusing in on one thing, and one thing alone, is the key that will open the Bible to you. But there's something more than that. And that's the next verse. I have more understanding than who? The ancients. Those people that are like 105 billion years old. Just walk around like that. I have more understanding than the ancients because I keep what? My precepts. It's more than just meditating. Because Heidi and Corey, they wanted the Bible. They wanted God's Word. They wanted the great controversy more than anything else. But what did they do when they got it? Did they just say, oh, that's cool? 
They what? That's right. They executed what they found in that book. They got their mom to help them. They got their families enlisted so they could understand the Word and obey it. Do we read the Bible to get information? Or do we read it for the guide of our lives? You know, Ellen White gives a very, very good passage. It's in Steps to Christ. And it's in the chapter of Knowledge of God. She said, it is better to read one passage and meditate upon it until its significance is clear and its relationship to the plan of salvation is understood than the perusal of many chapters. Does that make sense? When you read the Bible, do what Heidi and Corey did. Act on it. My father has been a very big influence in my life. And he says, Tim, to know and not to do is not really yet to know. And that's true. I actually will go and I'll give seminars on health oftentimes. And I'll start reading something and they'll say, no, Dr. Riesenberger, don't read that to me. Then I'll be accountable. (laughs) Have you ever heard that? They do not have the key that unlocks the Bible. I can tell you that. When we hear God's Word, are we reading it for just information? Or are we reading it to know what to do? Don't you see? They understand the Bible. They understand God's Word. Because when they read it, they embrace it. They do it. You know, many times people will ask me a question in these health seminars. And it's funny, they'll say, Dr. Riesenberger, I have a question about mushrooms. Have you ever heard people ask you about mushrooms? Now, are these something we're supposed to eat or not? Hmm. <laughs> it's true. I've had this question asked over and over again. And you know, it is, it's not like the other question. When I was in Russia, they were asking me about urine therapy. That was pretty easy to, uh, to deal with. But the mushrooms are a little bit more complicated answer. But you see, the issue is not really the mushrooms. This person who's asking me about the mushrooms, that's that's right, it's not the issue of the mushrooms. They're eating meat, and they're drinking and smoking, but they want to know about mushrooms. Don't we do that? Don't we look and say, who is the king of the north, and who is this, and who is whatever, when there's sin in our lives. You know, I had a physician one time. I was in Holland, in the Netherlands. And I had given a presentation on the power of the spirit of prophecy and what brought me to accept the spirit of prophecy. I was more interested in the health aspects. I was in the process of becoming a physician. And I came across some information that Ellen White had written about smoking. Tobacco is an insidious poison. It causes this, this, and the other thing. But I went to look up when she wrote that. I'm like, 18-something? And I did some background. I'm like, third grade education? I can pull an article from JAMA, Journal of the American Medical Association. And I read an article in 1935, after the statement, right? Very far after. And it says that for asthma, one of the best things is smoking. You laugh. JAMA is the most prestigious medical journal in the United States. How dare you laugh? Now, why are you laughing? Because it's a moron that would recommend that. (laughs) No one would recommend smoking for asthma. In fact, the number one cause of pediatric asthma is smoking. Did you know that? Not in the kids, but from who? The parents. We know that now. And I was sharing this article, and he came up to me. And he said, Dr. Riesenberger, I need the reference for that article. I want to have that reference because I want to show people the truth of this. This man was living with a woman who he is not married to, his nurse. I said, why not get married to the woman you're living with first, and then I can send you the article. (laughs) But that's what we do. We quibble about the things we don't understand. 
so we can ignore the things we do. We ignore the fire in our living room so we can extinguish the match in the bathroom. We strain at a gnat and swallow a camel, don't we? Do you see the application? Friends, don't worry about the mushrooms. Does that make sense? I can tell you that if you obey the light that you do know, you will be given additional light about the things you don't know. It's that simple, isn't it? But we play a game as human beings. We want to know about the mushrooms. We want the article from 1935 from JAMA when we're committing adultery and fornication and lying and stealing and lusting overeating. We don't understand the truth that unlocks the Bible. When you follow and do what you understand, God will give you wisdom to do what you don't. Because I can tell you right now, these girls are going to understand more than you and I all combined. Because when they receive light, what do they do? They act on it. They follow it. The last principle I'm going to share with you is in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Luke chapter 6, 38. Very simple passage. Give and what? shall be given to you. And I like it. It's not just given to you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. Shall men give into your bosom. For the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Do you know what one of the first things these girls did when I gave them that book was? What did they do? They shared it with other people. They wanted God's Word more than anything else. They were focused on one thing. When they received the light, they obeyed it. They acted on it. And when they received the light, they shared it with someone else. You know, I can tell you that when I was headed towards medical school, my parents gave me nothing. When I became an Adventist, I was disowned by one of my parents. And when I was headed to medical school, I decided I'd try again, and they said to jump in the lake. They said they weren't giving me a dime. So what I did is I had one year to do pre-med. And I won't tell you the whole story, but I was given a full scholarship to Andrews University. And I did general chemistry, biology, organic chemistry, and physics in one year. Now, that doesn't seem right, because people say, wait, don't you have to take G-Chem before you take O-Chem? Yes, you do. But I didn't. I took them both at the same time. Because that's all I had. I had one year to take them all. And I can tell you that I didn't have any money either. Because the scholarship covered 16 units, but I was taking more than 16 units. So I had to actually pay for the additional units. But then I had to live, right, to eat. And so what I did is I ended up tutoring for my classes that I was taking. And I was a tutor for general chemistry, organic chemistry, physics, and biology. How do you think I did in those classes when I was tutoring for all of them? Why? The best way to learn something is to to teach it, to share it. Don't you see? I didn't have to go home and study. Because I was already studying. Because I was getting paid 10 bucks an hour to know what I was talking about by the other students in the class. I can tell you this is the number one reason why we don't understand the Bible. Why our devotional life is blah. When you spend time with God and you learn something about God, how many of you Come up to someone, hey, you know what I learned this morning in my devotions? How many of you say that? Not many of us, right? I can tell you that I'm going to share something 
in the sessions that I learned that I actually called people up. I called up my friends and said, hey, do you have your Bible in 10 minutes? Let me show you. I called the pastor of my church and I did that. He and I went to a park. I called a friend of mine in Sweden and I told him, hey, have you ever read this? He's like, yeah, I've read that before. Tell me about this. Never seen that before. That is amazing. How meaningful do you think that is to me now? It means the world to me. That truth that I have learned. And it becomes more and more precious as I share it. You know, people often wonder why. I have the notes, but you'll notice that I don't really look at them very often. Because it's happened to me. It's something that I share as a regular part of my life. I don't need the notes because I've shared it like five bazillion times. And that's the same thing with God's Word. When you learn something, it will burn in your heart if you teach it to someone else. Make it a habit. When you open God's Word to focus on Him and Him alone. To not just read the Bible to know, to be informed, but to obey what you read. And don't worry about the mushrooms. Don't worry about that article in JAMA from 1935. Obey what you do know. If you don't understand about the Ottoman Empire and the relationship it has to the 1,035 days or whatever, don't worry about that. Do what you can understand. And God will help you to understand what you don't. And when you learn something, I challenge you that you pray every day that God will give you someone to share that with. Every day. And you know what He'll do? He'll give you someone to share it with. Every day. I can tell you, I have multiple amazing divine appointments just in the airplane when I fly. It's fantastic what I can share. Just simple things. I can tell you one experience that I had. I remember I was flying to 3ABN this month and I met an airline pilot. Well, a steward. A steward. And how much interaction do you have with the stewards or the stewardesses? Not much. What would you like to drink, sir? Apple juice. Would you like ice or would you like without ice? I mean, that's the extent, right, of the conversation. And in that conversation, I don't know what it was. All I said to him was I wanted some apple juice. And when he gave it to me, I said, thank you very much, sir. And he paused and he said, well, you're welcome, sir. And that was it. But as I walked back to go to the bathroom, which I have to do very badly right now because I haven't since the beginning of the seminar. (laughs) I didn't take a break. As I walked to the bathroom, he stopped me and he said, why are you so happy? And I tell you, if you're going to give me a door, that's it. And I said, I'm glad you asked me. I'm happy because I have become a Christian. And I shared with him just very briefly my journey. I'll share with you a little bit more about that in one of the other sessions. And I'll tell you what has come about. God will give you an opportunity if you ask him to share with someone every day. But that opportunity is not just for that person. Who do you think it's for? You. It's for you. To share what you've learned so that it becomes a part of you rather than just something you know. Does that make sense? The reason why... Yes, go ahead. I'm just going to talk a lot of that. Light, when it hits something... Mm-hmm. Wow, that is tremendous. An illustration from physics. Thank you so much, Russell. I appreciate that. I'm going to share a passage as we close. From Testimonies to Ministers, page 119. 
just to bring these points home. When you look at Heidi and Corey, the reason why it's so amazing to you is why? They're kids. They didn't go to Andrews University. They don't have an M. Divinity or a degree in theology. Heidi can hardly read some of the bigger words. That's why it surprises you. But you know, it doesn't surprise God because He tells us in that passage that God can teach you more in one moment by His Spirit than you could learn from the great men of the earth. Do you realize that? One moment, God can teach you more. He doesn't need you to get five million degrees after your name. I'm going to share with you that the key to understanding the Bible is also the key to be saved. And that's why I'm incorporating it into this talk about giving your life to Jesus. I'm going to share with you an illustration that I will never forget. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 26 through 29. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. And we're told there how God works. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many what? Wise men after the flesh. Not many what? Mighty. Not many noble are called. But God has chosen what? the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world, the things that are despised, has God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. And why is that? That no flesh should glory in His presence. Have you ever heard the illustration of shrinking the earth down to the size of your hand? If you take the earth and shrink it down to the size of your hand, about three inches or four inches in diameter, and you look at the highest point on the earth, which is not Everest, and compare it to the lowest point on the earth, not like the sea, the lowest point on the earth is like Death Valley or something like that. Did you know if you run your hand over those two points, when the earth is that big, you know what you feel? Ouch! Do you feel that? It's smoother than a pool ball. Do you realize that? That's how it is with God. The very mightiest saint and the very smallest sinner are all the same compared to God because of how large He is. And I can tell you, that is the whole reason He does stuff like this. Because I can tell you that if I come up with some amazing truth, right? Or if Dr. Pippimick waxes eloquent on B, right? You say, well, he did write a book. He does have a PhD in theology. Well, Tim Riesenberger, you know, he's an MD. He's gone to school a long time, and you know, he's done all this mission work, and you know, that's understandable. But when a six-year-old and a ten-year-old does something like this, who do you have to give glory to? Because you know it's not them. Don't you see? It's not about me or you. It's about God. It doesn't matter. If we have degrees, it doesn't matter if we have education. In fact, God just finished saying, how often do those people get chosen by God? Not many. You know, I'm thankful it says not many. It doesn't say not any. (laughs) So if you have a degree, God can still use you if you're humble. Okay? I'm not saying that. But it's not many, isn't it? How many professionals do you know? How many people that are mighty and big. You know, one of my friends has a personal trainer. He's 285 pounds and can bench press 700 pounds. He is a freak of nature. <laughs> How much need do you think he feels? 
He could squash you between his two fingers, basically. He could like encircle your head with one of his palms and just go. <laughs> he doesn't feel his need because he's mighty. But you know what he is to God? He's the pool ball. He's all the same. God knows every one of us to be just like these kids compared to him. And when we understand that, we have the key that unlocks the Bible. Because I can tell you, one of the best ways I can illustrate it is this. How many of you liked to climb when you were young? I liked to climb. I would climb trees, walls, things like that. And one of my favorite things was like a sidewalk. You know how there's sidewalks where the wall starts low and then it kind of goes higher? Have you seen, have you seen those? I loved those when I was young because I would start and I would balance. And my dad would be down here, right? And I'd keep going higher and higher. No, I'm not going to get on the table. And then finally, the wall comes to what? The end. And it's way up there. And when I was small, I would come to the end of the walkway and what do you think my dad would say? Jump down. And what do you think I'd do? Woo! I would jump. Because I knew what? You'd catch me. Now, as I got older, <laughs> you laugh because this is true. As I got older and he said, jump, what do you think I did? I climbed down. Why? Because my confidence in him had gone down as the confidence in myself had gone up. Don't you see? That's why we as older people will never be saved. Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, is the relationship of this to salvation. Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you be converted and, there's something else, become what? As little children, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. Don't you see that? When I was young, when I was small, and daddy said, jump. Why did I jump? Because I knew he would catch me. Daddy could do anything. Have you ever seen kids? What can your dad do? My daddy can do anything. <laughs> they believe that. And you laugh, but they believe that. But as they get older, who's the one who can do anything now? It's me. And they don't really trust in their father anymore. But I can tell you, unless we learn the lesson of Heidi and Corey, we will never be saved. We will never have salvation. Until we, like that child, can jump off the wall when daddy says jump. Until we can have total confidence in our father and absolute forgetfulness about ourselves. Because you see, that's the key that understands the Bible. It's becoming like a little child. It's becoming weak in yourself, realizing that you cannot do anything and not just saying it. Because there's people, oh Lord, I am nothing. But you know they really believe they're quite something. You know, <laughs> It's true. Until you come to the point where you really believe that. Like Heidi and Corey. See, it's easy for them to believe it because they're kids. They are children and they don't know. But remember the pool ball and the earth. Remember that if you're Mount Everest, it's just the same as Death Valley to God. Compared to Him, you are the same. Whether you're the mightiest, mightiest saint or the weakest sinner, we're all the same to Him. And I pray that next time you open your Bible, you would remember my friends, Heidi and Corey. I won't forget them as long as I live. And you would remember the lessons. Bless you that will help you to unlock the Bible, that will make your devotions meaningful to approach God's Word as they did. How many things did they want? <laughs> Just one thing. They wanted the great controversy. They wanted cosmic conflict. 
more than anything else. They would have done anything for it. When they received the light, they obeyed it, right? They were not concerned about mushrooms or the articles in JAMA. They were seeking God and God alone. They obeyed His light. And when they received that book, did they keep it to themselves? Who would they share it with? Everyone around them. A six-year-old and a ten-year-old. They shared it. When you have your devotions, ask God to give you someone to share what you've learned that morning. And it will become a part of you. You won't need to say, now, okay, what was that doctrine again? Let me, uh, let me grab my amazing facts guide. You won't need to do that because it's part of you. Remember me struggling with my pre-med classes, tutoring for them and learning that that was the best way I could study of all. And finally, remember that the way to understand the Bible is the way to salvation. Unless you are converted and become as little children, you will never know and you will never be saved. But I can tell you that if you, like Heidi and Corey, follow in their footsteps and realize that you are nothing and God is everything, you will know. You will know because it will be a part of you forever. Let's kneel for prayer. Loving Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for the lessons that I have learned from my two little friends. Lord Jesus, forgive me for not loving your word and loving you like they do. Help me to learn from those little children to seek you at the loss of all else, to obey the light that I do know and thereby understand what I don't. And finally, to share with others the joy and the light that you've shared with me. And above all, Lord, we ask that you would humble us, that you would make us like little children, not only that we can understand and obey you, but that we can join you one day in heaven. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC generation of youth for christ if you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation or if you would like to learn more about gyc please visit www.gycweb.org you can also find great witnessing media at audioverse.org and at hopevideo.com